Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. My uh, guest for this episode is Georgia Weidman. Weidman, I'll let you uh, correct me on that. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so I am a penetration tester, entrepreneur, trainer, author, you know, a few different things in the industry, security researcher. So I have a couple of companies. So I have Bulb Security, which is my consulting and training company and then I also spun off a company called Shavira which does uh, mobile security testing products. I wrote the book Penetration Testing a hands-on introduction to hacking which is currently in the process of getting a second edition and that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Well I think that sounds like enough. Uh, uh, it sounds like a lot. Um, I, I one of the things that is sort of interesting to me is just that I do not believe, and I, I could be wrong because you know there's you know tens of thousands of people at the at, at you know RSAs and black hats and events like that, but I don't believe we've ever actually met. Um, but I've known of you and have kind of followed what you do for for years, um, because I, I you know, you're you're. Uh, to, to me, you are part of a uh, sort of elite group of female cybersecurity uh, people. Uh, you, Katie Mosuris, Wendy Nather, Jennifer Steffens, um, you know, are, are, are people that I, I, you know, admire and follow and that I think, um, I, you know, I, when I when I look at kind of the the stuff that goes on, you know, the, what I can see on Twitter and what I can see on, uh, you know, LinkedIn or whatever in social media posts, um, you know, so it, admittedly my 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 view is very small and and you know I just I just see what I see, but it seems like as a group you often have to work twice as hard for half the recognition. Well, first off, thank you very much for, for the recognition. I couldn't tell you whether we had met or not because I am both face blind and can't remember people's names, so I wouldn't know anyway, um, which is kind of sad. Um, but anyway, um, I don't know. Like, I try not to like get bogged down in like the isms, but mm. I have kind of had to like notice that you know it is. There are a lot of like, I guess, extra obstacles in the way for you know anybody that's a minority group in infosec. So I'm not sure of the exact math of like twice as hard for half the recognition, but definitely I think you have to work harder. But what's interesting I think is if you work 
really hard you can kind of i guess kind of like take the elevator because then you'll get like conference wants to have like female speakers so like when i was first starting out speaking it was like boom like right away it was like oh it's a female speaker who can speak technical we want her everywhere whereas if i was you know a white dude it probably would have i would have had to pay a lot more dues before i got like the quality of speaking engagements that i did that's fair I, I I could I could definitely see that. I mean, uh, in in my my uh, youngest daughter uh, dances a lot, like twenty thirty hours a week. She's you know currently out of state at a, a three week ballet intensive, and you have sort of the opposite effect when it comes to the world of dancing, where you know girls females are a dime a dozen, but finding a good male dancer is is a lot harder, um, and so. They just get, they, you know, male dancers sort of get perks and get free passes that, you know, the girl, the female dancers don't. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, 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 I can see where, like, you don't want to get bogged down in it. You don't want to, like, ha- you, you don't want to have to play that card. You don't want to, you know, the, 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 the sexism card or the, the feminism card or whatever, um, you know, but, you know, I, I keep looking at all, you know, all these issues, whether it's sexism, feminism, ageism, racism, as wouldn't it be great if we could get to a, a, a point as a society where that didn't have to be the thing we have to talk about? Like, we, like where I could just say, you know, Georgia is a cybersecurity expert without having to even put the female part in there. I mean, that would be really nice to, like, not have the qualifier of, like, top female security people to just being like top security people um but i mean i guess everybody's like trauma is the worst they've ever seen so like i feel like we're gonna have to come up with like better language to like get our point across because saying like the way you're treating us sucks to like people who've never been treated that way like it's obviously not working so you know, I certainly don't have the answers, but I think we're going to have to do better all around. Okay. Well, let's, you know, I uh, don't want to dedicate the entire uh, podcast to uh, uh, being a social justice warrior. Um, Isn't that a cool name, though? I don't see why people <laughs> are so, like, anti-social justice warrior. That sounds, like, really awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm cool with being on that team. Um but let's talk about uh, penetration testing. Let's talk like for 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 starters. Uh, kind of like how did you go down that path? How did you get into computers? How did you decide to get into penetration testing? Well, um, my mother got her PhD in computer science when I was like three, so it was like my first sentient memory was her getting her PhD cap and gown and all that. So. We always had computers around the house, like, all the time. I don't remember life without them. And uh, then I did math as an undergrad. And then I did computer science as a graduate student. And they had this thing called the, the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition that our school did. And basically, it's a exercise in torturing, like, students, <laughs> literally. Um because, like, the professional hackers, the red team, the penetration testers by day who are now, like, going nuts um, and destroying the students' uh, 
networks, like they're the ones who are actually having fun. The students are like crying and vomiting. But <laughs> as a student, like just seeing like a pop-up box, like I knew that little about hacking that seeing like a pop-up message that said like, I like turtles. I was like, how did they do that? I really wanted to be able to do the things that they were doing. So that kind of led me down that path of one, knowing that ethical hacking existed because before that it was like, all I knew about it was like this one book I had read where it was like Kevin Mitnick and a couple other people's stories. And they all, all the morals of the story is the people went to jail and I didn't figure my skill set was really like well suited for jail. <laughs> so I didn't start hacking until I was in grad school because I didn't want to go to jail, which makes me uncool, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, I've, I, you know, I always wanted to, you know, I was, I was working, you know, on the network admin security architect consultant side of the fence before I went kind of full-time writing. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to do more uh, with programming and do more with hacking and like, you know, so, you know, uh, I was, I, I really love uh, the hacking exposed books. And, uh, you know, and I was like back in like 2002 or three that I uh, interviewed uh, George Kurtz and, and Stuart McClure and, 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 you know, talked about all that stuff. Um, and I always thought it was really cool and I wanted to dabble in it more. Um, but the, yeah, the roadblock for me was always, okay, but what network am I going to hack? And how am I going to stay out of jail? <laughs> you know, it was like, because I couldn't, I, that, that was the part that always stopped me. I was like, well, you know, I can't really hack my own network or, you know, I mean, I could, you know, you could set up your own like lab environment and stuff. But, but yeah, it was the, you know, I, I feel like the, the Kevin Mitnicks of the world, you know, just kind of went out there and tested out their knowledge on, you know, the Pentagon. And, <laughs> and I, I wasn't up for that. Likewise. People have it so easy today with like all the old CTF challenges and and boxes online specifically for hacking and and bug bounties and things. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine, uh, I was, I mean, even as much as I you know go to cybersecurity events and write about cybersecurity and and everything else, I was not aware of that kind of evolution online of what was available. And a friend of mine told me just like I don't know about a year, year and a half ago about that, where he's like, oh yeah, you know, now there's just kind of websites that are set up specifically for you to hack them. And I was like, well, where the hell was that when I wanted to do it? Yeah, likewise. Um, so, you know, so now, you know, you're, so you're, you're doing penetration testing and what kind of things, you know, when, when a company engages you, you and your, your company for, you know, penetration testing services, um, you know, what's the goal? Like, what are, what, are, what are they hoping to get out of it? Well, it really just depends on the client. I mean, more often than not, honestly, I get people who really don't need a penetration test. They need, like, a vulnerability scan um, because they haven't got the low-hanging fruit yet, which kind of makes the penetration test pointless if I get in in, like, two seconds because they're missing, like, a major patch. Um and, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, just want to check the box. So, like, whoever bought them or whoever they're partnering with says they have to have one. So, they're doing one. Um, but then, I mean, you do get clients that are really, like, security mature and they really care about it and they're taking it seriously. And, I mean, in that case, you know, they're trying to see whether 
you know, the security program they have in place would actually hold up well under, you know, active attack. Would you, yeah, I've had this conversation a couple times and I get sort of varying answers. It kind of is a matter of interpretation. Would you differentiate between penetration testing and red team? And do you ever do actual red team, blue team where they actually know you're coming and try to stop you? Um, so I guess I kind of see it as like penetration testing is a subset of red teaming, like your typical penetration test. You don't really have the no holds bar that you expect in a red team exercise. Um, certainly some of the time people want to actually test their blue team to see if they notice that I show up. Um, but just as often, yeah, the blue team is either the one who bought the test in the first place and of course they know about it or yeah, they, they know and, you know, want to see what the monitoring software is going to say and, or whether, you know, if uh, I'm doing social engineering attack, if people are like sending it in like they're supposed to and things like that. Well, yeah. And it's it's interesting because I, you know, I, I generally feel like to be really valid, um, that, you know, even if they've they've uh, engaged you for your services, they say, "Hey, Georgia, we want you to you know come come do a penetration test and, and break into our network." I feel like there should still be like a, "Okay, yes, we've agreed. I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to tell you when or how." Um, because like when I was in the Air Force, uh, you know, we had like the you know if the if the um, you know Inspector General was coming to the base we knew about it a month in advance and we spent like the entire week before, you know, cleaning everything up and getting everything in order and making sure that everyone followed the rules and, and all that. And, but that's not the way we normally did business. And so I was like, well, so your, your inspection is invalid basically because what you inspected was us putting on a show for you. Um, you know, what you really need to do is just show up. Uh, and you know, so when, it, when it comes to the pen, when it comes to penetration testing, it's like, well, if I tell you, okay, I want you to do penetration testing, but, you know, here's the parameters. You know, you can only come in through here and, you know, I only want you to do this and this and don't, you know, don't don't go outside of this scope. And it's like, okay, well, that might test something, but it doesn't really prove that you're secure because as long as, as long as there are guidelines, it's like, well, the, you know, real attackers aren't going to follow your guidelines. Absolutely, that's true. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that, particularly because like my research area and you know my product area is uh, you know mobile security testing and almost across the board with security testing, either internal or you know bringing in consultants, um, BYOD, mobile, IOT, all that is completely out of scope, which the bad guys, like you say, they don't have rules of engagement. Um, so definitely, you know, you are not really getting the full picture unless you are going completely full scope. But, you know, it's just such a battle to get people to, like, do security testing at all. So many people are so afraid that, like, the building's going to blow up if somebody uses Metasploit on their network that, you know, getting people to be okay with it at all is still a challenge a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, it's like the difference between, you know, just saying, you know, hey, I want you to, you know, 
I want you to sit at your office and connect over the public internet and try to get in, you know, you know and find you know, find a vulnerability you can exploit and get in you know, that way. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but assuming that you, you couldn't and you said, okay, well, you know, you, you seem pretty secure. I couldn't, I couldn't get in that way. And it's like, okay, but if your physical security is bad and I can just walk into your building and log onto the server, then, you know, did I, did you really prove anything? Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, but you, you, the point you brought up earlier though, I think is, is, is a really good one, which is you can't jump straight to penetration testing. Like if you're, if you haven't done a basic vulnerability scan, like, if, you know, if, if, you know, I don't know, let's use Heartbleed. Like you haven't, if you haven't patched Heartbleed yet or whatever, then you're not really ready for a penetration test. Right. You're kind of wasting your time and money in that case. I mean, what it would cost to have me come run a vulnerability scan or for you to buy a license for one is a lot cheaper than a penetration test. And if I'm in in two seconds, it's not a good use of your money. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so let, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit more about, uh, the Shavira side and, and what you're doing on uh, over there. Well, first of all, some business advice. If you're going to start a company, you should definitely name it something that no one can either say or spell like Shavira. <laughs> um, I've actually been there, done that when I first, when I first incorporated, uh, you know, at my business as a writer, uh, and, you know, doing freelance content and stuff, I went with the name secure, except for that I did it in hacker speak. So it was S three K U R three. Oh, I bet people had a really hard time finding your website. Well, yeah. And for years, you know, people would say, well, oh, you know, well, you know, what's the name of your company? I'd be like a secure, you know, secure. And they'd be like, okay. And they'd start spelling it. I'm like, nope. You know, yeah. and so finally I changed the name of the company because I was like, well, it was really clever and kitschy when I thought of it, but it doesn't work in the real world because nobody knows how to spell it. Yeah, I have the same problem. Basically, I had to have a company name so I could apply for a startup accelerator to learn how to do business. And I always figured I would change it, but nobody's ever come up with a better name. So, um, so anyway, um, when I was first starting out in security, I wanted to do security research so I could be on stage and people clap for me. And so I did some mobile hacking type stuff. And then I got a DARPA Cyber Fast Track grant to do more mobile hacking type stuff. So I basically did penetration testing tools for mobile because it was like you could pin test from a phone, like you could report all your typical tools to a phone. So if you wanted, instead of bringing a laptop to hack from your Android, totally you could do that. And if you wanted to test like a mobile application that somebody had built for Android or iOS or both, there were tools for that. There were some tools for forensics, but there wasn't really anything, I think partially because again, it's still to this day, mostly left out as security testing and like the wild west of things we don't touch along with like SCADA and cloud and things. Um, but there wasn't really anything like, like a Metasploit or a Nessus or a don't say vendor names, Georgia. I'm vendor agnostic, <laughs> but like, penetration testing tools or vulnerability scanner tools or post-exploitation tools, et cetera, et cetera, or phishing tools 
for like mobile devices. So I had the open source smartphone pen test framework that was DARPA cyber fast track backed. And then I decided to take that from being like just a open source community research project to, you know, I guess following in the footsteps of, of those vendors that I mentioned, like Nessus and Metasploit that started out as just community things, but then went pro. So I decided to do that and I had originally had it under Bulb Security, which you can actually spell B-U-L-B Security. Um, but I spun it out as a second company so I could like take investment and stuff and keep all this other stuff in Bulb as separate. Um, and so I applied to a startup accelerator called Mach 37, which is in the Northern Virginia area. And it's primarily for like security practitioners, the technical people to learn business. And I'm not sure if I actually believe such a concept is possible to be like successful, but um, having been through it, it's like there's just such a big gap from your typical like practitioner to being like business savvy. Yeah. Um, like I'm still kind of stuck at things like sales and marketing and I will never be able to go in like a room full of like business people and be able to like hold my own socially with them. I mean, forget about it. But anyway, so yeah, I did the startup accelerator and then, you know, built out the product. We've got front ends and APIs and, and, uh, reference pilots and government clients and, and, uh, like big giant corporate clients and things like that, that most of them are all under like, non-disclosure but admiral blair former director of national intelligence did a reference pilot for us and said that our stuff was cutting edge and awesome so yeah we do everything from you know phishing because it's not just email right with phones you've got you know text message near field communication bluetooth all the social medias that do messaging like twitter whatsapp all those all these different ways qr codes all these different ways you can now uh fish people that your typical like email phishing products are totally missing and you know penetration testing with uh you know client-side attacks uh, making malicious applications trying to get people to install them doing post exploitation from there um getting onto people's phones and then using that to pivot onto like other places in the environment like if they're vpn'd in or Hopefully this isn't happening, but I know it is in a lot of places, just like it's a flat network and the mobile BYOD for your own devices are on the same network as like the servers and the workstations. Yeah. So if they're missing a patch, then using it as a pivot point, also using it as, as a pivot point to get out because we put so much of our security still to this day, unfortunately, at our network perimeter and you know, our mobile devices or IoT devices, you know, when they're speaking you know, mobile modems, Bluetooth, all these other ways of communicating that is not going through your perimeter. It's a really great way to get past data loss prevention as well. Yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I still see a fair amount of out there with with organizations is, you know, they, they know that they should protect, you know, public facing web servers, and they know that they should protect, you know, databases that have, you know, sensitive information. But there's a, a, a kind of a perception or a belief that like, you know, some devices, you know, don't, it's not, are not as important, it doesn't really matter. 
And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not disagreeing at, on, on some level with that logic. I mean, obviously the servers with the, the data and the access to the public internet are, are higher risk or, or bigger targets. But I think a lot of organizations don't understand that if the attacker can get in, it doesn't matter if it's you know to a phone or a desktop or a you know Nest camera or whatever. It's just the getting in, you know. <laughs> and then once once you're in and you kind of have that foothold, you know, then you, then then you have some time to kind of play around and you know poke around and find out where else you can go from there. Um, but you know, by by not paying attention to uh, you know, those devices, they leave themselves exposed. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly with like internet of things, people are like, well, I don't have any corporate data on my like internet connected coffee pot. I'm like, fair enough. But if the default password is used, then, you know, somebody's monitoring your network. They're able to look for other vulnerabilities, clear text credentials, you know, what have you. So I do think that, you know, they're, was perhaps a lot of hype that you know the world was going to end because of internet of things but i feel like it's kind of gone in the other direction and people are like well yeah they're all vulnerable but who cares and you know like you say it is a good way to get a foothold for later yeah well and i've done i've, I've written a, a, a number of things on iot security and the thing that that kind of stands out to me about it is that initially it was like the, all the things you heard about it were sort of like James Bond supervillain type things, like someone's going to take down the entire you know power grid, or someone's you know going to you know poison the water supply, and and not to say that those things aren't possible, <laughs> but those are not. You don't the, need IoT for that. <laughs> the, those are not the uh, those are not the common uh, IoT attack vectors, though. And there's there you know th there are a lot of other things. There are a lot of ways to attack through IoT that are not, you know, global crises type attacks. Um, and the other thing is, you know, it, the thing that drives headlines is when some creepy dude hacks into the, you know, baby monitor or, you know, watches a family over a Nest camera or whatever. And everyone, you know, that makes headlines and everyone freaks out. And, but the industrial IoT is, a much bigger deal and 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 probably less secure in a lot of ways um and that doesn't that doesn't really get the attention that nest cameras do that's true i mean what makes the news and what doesn't is something that you could probably do a lot of like studies on like what blows up and what doesn't and when like uh i mean kind of not really the same thing but like when uh like the JBoss vulnerabilities like blew up in the media. And I'm like, yeah, I've been using that on my pen test for like forever. Why are we talking about this now? Right. So it's really interesting, like what makes big headlines when. True. Um, so you, you and I, uh, you, you may you may not be aware because of just how, how people, you know, kind of just connect. But you and I are connected on Instagram. And so I get to see that when you're when you're not running companies and speaking at cybersecurity uh, conferences, that you uh, you you do a lot of equestrian stuff with tempo. This is true. I actually have not posted my tempo picture for today. I'm going to make him an influencer. He's going to be a horse of Instagram. 
Um, so yeah, I, uh, I have a horse named Tempo. I, uh, I rode when I was a kid and then as one typically does, you know, kind of fell off, you know, the riding when I w- was in college and then a young professional. But actually when I started the startup at, uh, the startup accelerator, people were like, you really ought to do something besides work all the time. And I was like, well, I rode when I was a kid, so I figure I'll go take, like, a weekly riding lesson. It'll be good exercise, get my mind off of work, which anybody who's ever been an equestrian um, could have seen what was going to happen that within, you know, a few months. Uh, that weekly riding lesson turned into riding, like, six days a week and having my own horse and going to horse shows and spending all my money on the horse. Um, and I actually am... Uh, actually leasing a second horse now um so i haven't signed the papers yet but informally at least i i have a, a second horse now too well i mean i it, it's been many 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 years since uh since i went horseback riding but uh, uh i i enjoyed it when i've gone i've never like done lessons i've never like you know really done horseback riding i've done like the hey i'm just gonna go ride a horse for an hour and a half yeah um and 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 i and i do enjoy that i mean i have i have my own uh you know miniature zoo in my house but a horse is not part of it i mean we've got uh three dogs four cats two ferrets three rabbits uh sulcata tortoise uh a pig oh really one of the big giant tortoises i'd love to have one of those he's not big giant yet but yes i mean we got him for my daughter um and you know basically told her when we got him that uh you know just know that this is a lifetime commitment this turtle is going to outlive you yeah, you're gonna have to leave a trust <laughs> and, fund for your turtle. You know, your 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 life choices are now gonna be guided by this tortoise because, like, when you meet when you meet somebody, if they're not into having a pet tortoise, that's that's a deal breaker. <laughs> that's kind of how it is with horses as well, though. To be fair, horses don't live to be a hundred, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's definitely like a lifestyle thing. If like people aren't into the horse thing. Or at least they're not into the idea of like all the money that exists, like being, you know, basically burned at the altar of, of the horse. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, it's not going to work out very well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't live in. Uh, we're not in a rural area. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, uh, upper middle class suburban neighborhood and so it's you know i think when a lot of people when they find out you know how many animals we've got here they're like you know they're kind of mind blown um and you know and and we you know spend a fair amount of money on pets obviously but uh and you know i'm also like making all these like modifications to the house like just for the pets you know like in the back we've got a we've got a rabbit hutch and then from the rabbit hutch i built a like a 20 foot tube out of chicken wire that gets them from the hutch to underneath the trampoline. And then I fence in the whole bottom of the trampoline so they can kind of go back and forth and go, you know, dance around and hop around under the trampoline. Um, we're in the process of building like a whole enclosed area in the garage. Like I put the pet door in the wall so that they can get, th- you know, out, out into the garage. And then I'm enclosing this whole area for the cats with like a bunch of shelves and stuff for them to hang out on. So, you know, they're, 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 they're the kind of things that, are great for the pets and great for us and are going to make it our bitch to sell the house <laughs> because yeah. the next guy is going to be like why is there a pet door in this wall 
Yeah, I mean, the one, though I had horses at home when I was a kid, we had them, like, in our backyard, and we had, you know, barn and things, but, uh, you know, I also don't live in a rural area. I live in Northern Virginia, near the Dulles Airport, so, but Virginia horse country is, you know, about 30 minutes farther out, so horse country is close by, but, you know, I uh, basically have full-time care for the horse. I don't actually have to do much of the day-to-day myself yeah um okay so let's 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 jump back on uh on security here for a minute i wanted to see uh you know one of the things that's been news in the past you know week or so is um you know ransomware and do you or don't you pay it because you know there's these two cities in florida that both paid huge sums of money so uh, you know, the, the, the attackers are now, you know, $1.1 million richer, uh, as a result of these ransomware attacks. Um, and you know, there are, there are certainly, there are people who are on the side of absolutely under no circumstances. Should you ever pay the ransom? Uh, you're, you're, you're just emboldening the attackers, but then there's the other side, which is like the city of Baltimore didn't pay the attackers, but they're incurring somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 15 to $20 million in expenses to recover from not paying that ransom. And it's like, well, which would you rather be the Florida city that paid $600,000 in ransom or Baltimore that stood on its principles and now has to pay 15 million to fix the problem? Well, first off, I'm way behind on my news. You can probably hear it listeners that I'm like barely able to speak. Um, so I've been like, mostly dead for the past couple weeks but uh i you know i have heard the baltimore stuff it's close by and i think it was atlanta before that a while ago kind of was in the same boat that they didn't pay it and it was early on so it was like not really that much money and then they spent like tons and tons and tons more on like forensics and getting things back up um which baltimore seems to be in the same um state right now um so i mean it really just depends and i mean that's you know looking at you know cities i mean what i thought was interesting was like radiohead like when they got a ransomware they just like you know put the music out for free like you know kind of gave the the hackers the finger and mm-hmm. i've seen like some celebrities that like got their nudes hacked kind of do the same it was thing just, just like last week i saw it, there was uh, i don't remember her name uh i mean i, would, I don't I would, either but i would if i saw it again but it was it was but, that kind of thing where she somebody hacked her phone got the nudes threatened her and said hey you know i'm gonna release these if you don't xyz and she was like you know what fuck you i'm just gonna release it yeah well if if i had a body like that i might too <laughs> you know yeah. those celebrity people generally look pretty nice in their nudes compared to what i get on facebook from people at least <laughs> yeah um but it, you know it, but it is a you know like on the one hand you know companies and cities you know government agencies or whatever you know, I feel like they ought to have backups, <laughs> and so yeah. it shouldn't be the end of the world. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't cost you eighteen million dollars to recover from that. Like you should say, no, I'm not going to pay the ransomware, and then restore everything from backup. Right. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people like have their backups like, you know, networked to the originals, and they get right. wiped out too. And 
But yeah, I mean, definitely at this point, you know, it's 2019. We've been seeing ransomware for a while now. We've been seeing, you know, attackers take out backups for even longer. So yeah, not having like, you know, logically separated backups that are taken, you know, very often is the kind of thing that you're, if you have, you know, I kind of have this thing about cyber insurance because so many people are like, well, I'm just not going to like take security seriously. I'm just going to buy an insurance policy. And it's like, you know, when they're, when people aren't doing like their basic due diligence, like their policies really shouldn't pay. Right. And, like not having, you know, your good backups, that should be something I don't think they should pay. That's not doing a proper amount of like basic due diligence. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see what happens with, uh, I, I don't remember which, which cities they were, but the first city in Florida that paid the ransom, um, the $600,000 ransom, they do, they apparently do have uh, cybersecurity insurance. And so the news said that the insurance is, is expected to pay out about half of that, you know, so they'll get, they'll get half of that three, you know, they'll get 300,000 back from insurance and they're out, they're out 300,000. And they're like, that seems like a reasonable uh, amount of money to you know be done with this. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when the insurance company, you know, if I just go to a dentist appointment, like the, the the insurance company, it seems like their entire job in life is to figure out how not to pay you. Like, like yeah. in theory, in theory, they're there to serve you and they're there to provide, you know, some some sort of service and, 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 and protect you. But their their day to day job is to hyper analyze what happened and try to figure out how it's not their fault. And they don't need to pay, and so it'll be interesting to see when they look at this if they actually pay the three hundred thousand dollars out to the city in Florida, or if they look at it and go, "Well, no, if you had just had backups, we wouldn't have had to pay anything." Yeah, I mean, I definitely am excited to see like more of those cases like come to light about what the insurance companies did, like you know Equifax, for instance, where it's like, "Well, it's not patch our third-party software." Um, things like not having backups, all these people are still getting hit by like, you know, eternal blue and eternal romance, like internet facing. It's like, really? You people are not taking this seriously. So I could totally see. I mean, that's really the only thing. Cause again, so many people, I, I talk to them and they're like, oh, we don't have to do patching. We don't have to do password management. We don't have to do phishing awareness. If something happens, our, our cyber insurance will just pay. So cyber insurance is going to have to start saying no or else it's just going to be a bloodbath. Right. Well, because it's the equivalent of, you know, me calling up my auto insurer and saying, hey, my car was stolen. And they say, okay, well, what happened? And I say, well, I left it running with the door open and the keys in it. You know, and, you know, at that point, the insurance company can go, well, that's not our problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your car wasn't stolen. You gave it away. Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's basically what happened there. Um, you know, so yeah, I think that, you know, it, it will be interesting to see how it pans out because I think it's also a moment for that, that concept or that, that industry of you know, cybersecurity insurance to mature and, and figure out if it's a real, if it's really a thing, because I've spent the past few years kind of looking at it and going, is that even really a thing or is that just something someone buys you know, because again, I feel like a lot of times they're just going to figure out a way not to pay out and like how much money do you want to pay for insurance just so you can feel good, even though it's not really going to help you. Yeah, definitely. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that pans out. But, um, anyway, 
I, uh, you know, I, I know that you, you weren't uh, feeling well. I do appreciate you, uh, you know, jumping on and taking the time uh, to talk anyway. Uh, so I, I hope you feel better soon. Um, but uh, yeah, again, thank thank you for joining uh, joining me for the podcast. Well, thank you for having me on, and uh, I assure you, my clients want me to feel better too. They're all, you know, down my throat, like, "Are you back yet?" I'm like, "Sorta." Um, but yeah, I am definitely getting there. It's been, I, I usually don't get sick, I guess, because of like all the travel. I've like spent so much time in airplanes that like I'm immune to most things, but somehow I managed to catch something nasty and it's been yuck. But thank you for having me on. I hope you and the listeners are able to understand me. I ate a popsicle before this, so like it would numb my throat. So hopefully I'm enunciating somewhat. Are you going to be at uh, Black Hat? I am. I am doing a book signing um, at Carbon Black's booth at Black Hat and then at No Starch, the publisher's booth at DEF CON. So I think the Carbon Black one's on Wednesday during Black Hat and uh, the No Starch one, which is going to be in the DEF CON vendor area. That's going to be on Saturday um, I'm not really doing anything besides that, at least at this point. I always am like, I'm just not going to go this year, but then like I always get roped into it. So I didn't submit anything. So I'm not doing training. I'm not doing talks, but I'm signing books. So and if anybody wants me to come talk at their stuff like that they're having, I'd love to do it now that I'm going. <laughs> all right well uh you know with with you know however many tens of thousands of people are are, are there uh it's not always easy to uh, uh meet up but uh i i will be there as well so maybe we'll have a chance to actually meet in person yeah that'd be great definitely i mean i'm gonna be there basically doing nothing as i'm hanging out between wednesday and saturday so definitely i'll have time so yeah i'd love right. to sounds good all right take care all right, you too. Thanks again. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks. And uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.